Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, space dedicated to the exchange of ideas. Conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. I'm Johan Vega, and today we're going to talk about El Día de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. I was originally thinking about explaining what it is and what is not, similar to what it happened a few months ago when I did the same, the same thing about Cinco de Mayo. But this time, the conversations and the interactions led to a beautiful opportunity to exchange points of view and conversation about the Day of the Dead. So today we're going to have exactly that, a conversation. I want to welcome Michelle Marroquin, and also I want to welcome Neftali Duran, who will be part of this of this session about the death. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Day of the death. We celebrate in Mexico El Día de los Muertos in November 1st and 2nd. November 1st being El Día de Todos los Santos, All Saints Day, and then November 2nd, El Día de los Fieles Difuntos. So it's officially the day for, for the faithful departed. That is, by definition, the date and the name of the celebration. How this is made, we're going to get into that in a moment. But let's start with what's happening here in our area. Talking about the Pioneer Valley, talking about East Hampton, and now also Holyoke, part of this observance and celebration, and at least acknowledge of what Day of the Dead is. So let's start with Michelle. Sure. What would you like to hear? Tell us a little bit about you. How do you celebrate Day of Dead? Okay. And how that leads to the event and the celebration that you have been doing for the past years. Okay. Well, the first time that I really, you can say, celebrated it purposefully was when I was in college. It was a year after my mother had died. And... It was still too shocking to sort of talk about or to acknowledge directly. And we were at the Cultural Center in college, at Hampshire College. And I thought, well, there is this Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos in Mexico. What if, what if I share what that is, build an ofrenda, which I had n never done, and sort of investigate it and research it a little bit? Even though I grew up in Mexico, my family didn't do anything around these days. I did hang out with a bunch of um, theater and dance and music nerds, you could say, <laughs> growing up. And one of the things that we would do is we would go to leave the city and go to these small villages around uh, Dia de los Muertos. And we would just go and see what people were doing um, in the cemeteries. They were beautiful. You know, they were candlelit and people were hanging out and drinking and playing the guitar. And, um, and so it was something that I, had, that I had seen, but always had felt, well, that's, that's something outside of me. And then when I came to the United States to, to study, and you feel far away from home, you think, okay, well, what, you know, what ties me? What ties me? And, and how do I stay connected to that? And so I had chosen to, okay, I'm gonna build an ofrenda at the cultural center and I'll research it and talk a little bit about what I know. 
And I learned a lot, obviously, from the research and, and the roots of the, of the actual symbols. And, you know, it goes back to a lot of the beliefs, pre-Hispanic beliefs, so before the Europeans came, and um, a lot of the ideas about the underworld and the gods and goddesses and a cult of the dead or, the de or of death, very complicated. Um, I didn't get into that too much, but there are people who know very much about that and who study that, you know, the anthropologists and the ethnographers and so on. And so I, I um, built the ofrenda for the first time, and it was sort of my way of acknowledging that um, my mother had died without having to talk about that too much because it was just still too, too raw. And pretty much after that, every year, um, I built an ofrenda in my house with my husband, uh, and we started to invite people, and it sort of grew. You know, every year we would do something different with it. We did some creative activities at home. We would um, either tell stories or um, paint and, and build these sort of small personal altars around the image of somebody who we wanted to remember. Like I said, it's, we did it for many years until up to a few years ago when I decided, well, what happens if I bring it out of my home? What if I take it into a public space? Who will this serve? How can I share this? Um, if this is helpful to me and to other people around me, how can this serve more people? And that's how Day of the Dead East Hampton was born. And that's been happening for the past years. It's been a beautiful experience something that has created awareness and curiosity from the community in Southampton. But at the same time, also it has created a little bit of concern and misunderstanding, which is completely understandable. Because now we can start talking about cultural appropriation or misuse of symbols that belong to a different culture. We will get there in a moment. Let's keep the narrative about how do we celebrate and how do we acknowledge Day of the Dead? Neftali, you have a lot of background on that. Well, uh, thanks for having me. I, I guess I would, like to, I would like to start by saying that this is only my opinion. I don't, I don't speak for anyone else. It's just my opinion, and I'm here just sharing my, my, uh, my personal opinion. And uh, I was trying really hard not to get pulled into this conversation, but Natalie and a couple other people kept pulling me back in. So here we are. Uh, let me just say, uh, tell you a little bit about, my, about myself. I'm a migrant worker. I come from the Mixteco community of Oaxaca. I am an educator. I'm a chef. I'm a cook. I'm an activist. And a lot of my passion not only has been, uh, has to do with food, but also, also with culture, specifically indigenous culture. That's my life's work. And that's what, what I'm uh, most passionate about. Okay, uh, it's a it's a really complicated multi-layer multi-layer question and answer. What does it not? As an indigenous person from Mexico, what does it not? I mean, where would, where do we start? Let's go, let's go back to uh, in my in my case, my community. Let's go back to 1520. That's when uh, the Spanish set foot on, on the Mixteco community, and uh, we cannot talk about culture without talking about the reality of genocide destruction of land, extraction of resources, and, and everything else. That's where I would start. Let's talk about 1520 and going forward. One of the things, one of the most important things to realize and for me to, to convey is that to talk about the Dia de los Muertos as a homogeneous Mexican mm -hmm. celebration 
completely erases the voices of indigenous peoples who are still here. And as I said on my Facebook post, I, I, and you know this, I travel a lot and I can tell you every single community that I've been where there's indigenous peoples mm. from different parts of Mexico. They have their own identity, their own language, and their own, uh, their own food and their own culture. And for me, if we talk about like what, what does this, this means for me, if I go to Oxnard, California, and I see little babies that are trilingual speaking Mixteco, that for me brings me back to the reality that the, the, that community has survived genocide and other issues to be able to speak their language. There's two things that a community loses last, language and food. I'm very passionate about food. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't speak my language. I'm learning slowly. That's a, another completely different conversation. So there's many, many different, many, many different layers of how to answer that question. And for me, if you ask me as a, if you, if, when you ask me this question as an intellectual, as a community member, as, some, as, a, as someone that has a voice, you know, we can go forever. But the, the, reality, of it, the reality of it is the Dia de los Muertos, for me, my community, my peoples, the peoples where I grew up, Oaxaca, here, uh, De Los Muertos is a mixed pagan and a, maybe not pagan for lack of a better word, pre-colonial and Catholic celebration. And what that means to me is a reminder that the Catholic Church could not erase our identity. Therefore, we had to come up with something mixed. Same thing, same thing as Virgen de Guadalupe, but we'll, we'll leave that for another time. So Dia de los Muertos is a perfect example of colonization. That's what it means to me. It wasn't until I got older and I started to understand the roots of, of my culture. And I, I don't even want to say my identity because I'm still searching for, searching for it. It took however many generations for us to not have an identity. And it's going to take mm. a long, long time to be able to get, to get back to that. I couldn't agree more with you, Natalie. This is, uh, like, like both of you said, this is a really complicated conversation because, like I said at the beginning, it is Dia de los Fieles Difuntos, November 2nd, and All Day Saints, Dia de Todos los Santos, on November 1st. So that is a date and a name based on the Catholic Church that imposed the religion and the belief as part of the colonization of the Nueva España, which... Before that was the old Tenochtitlan, now Mexico City. So the way the Spaniards found a possible way to have their religion imposed on the indigenous people was to allow them to keep certain aspects of their culture, but the gods. Cuatlicue, being the Aztec goddess of death and fertility, along with all the rest of the gods of the Mexicas, Aztecas, were wiped out. They were allowed to keep their indigenous names, but then they have to be baptized. So that's why, and pretty much still today, many names have the combination of the indigenous name and then the last name having the name of a saint. A little aspect that shows how that colonization made itself still being present in a, in a present day. So yeah, it's colonization. So the Day of the Dead itself is a mixture of the religious point of view from the Catholic Church combined with some of the, what, whatever they could be, savage from our ancestors, from the different, in my case, I'm making reference of the Aztecs, being myself from Mexico City, which is the 
the region where I where I got to learn learn the most. Now that I'm thinking, Neftali, about how this is reflection on other regions out of the back then Nueva España or former Tenochtitlan, how do you perceive this? Well, I think uh, I think the overall the as I said before, the notion that we're one people is really short-sighted and, and it's really problematic in the sense that you're erasing a lot of people, a lot of cultures are still, uh, still around. Let's, let's just t- touch on the Aztecs and, or the Mexicas and Tenochtitlan. First of all, they're one of the youngest cultures in the Americas. Let's just get out, that out of the way. Not only they're one of the youngest cultures of the Americas, so at some point it became really popular to just uh, go with the whole Aslan term and, every, and everything else, that it was fed to us, to a lot of cultures. The other thing that I'd like to point out, the Aztecs, before the Spanish came, were the colonizers. Let's not, you know, let's not get out of the... It's true that there was a lot of fighting here and, you know, everyone complicated history. However, it is also true that they sided with the Spaniards in the oppression of a lot of indigenous peoples. So for me, I find it really problematic that we, not me, but that a lot of people idealize that culture as the only culture that is, that is relevant. And it's problematic at different levels. One, as I said, you're, you're erasing my, my history, the history of many different people, uh, peoples in, in Oaxaca and other places. I mostly just talk about Oaxaca all the time because that's where I'm from. But also if you think about, let's say, a term like Aztlán, which is something that Chicanos love to throw around, Aztlán is supposed to go all the way up to the, to the border of Colorado, you know, southern Colorado and south. You know, what about all, all the indigenous peoples, Native American peoples in the States that live there, that, I, that are still there? You know, we're talking about the Yaqui, the Pueblo, the Sunni, and everyone else. You know, that blanket statement, I, I, you know, I don't buy into it. I want to welcome someone who represents the Chicano community. Diana Alvarez is also here with us and so glad to have you around because now that, that Neftali is mentioning Aslan, and yes, that's a name that is really, really meaningful and important for the Chicano community. So let's start with, uh, well, first of all, Diana, thank you for being here and welcome. And what is it for you, the meaning of Day of the Dead? So I don't, uh, in my work, I don't claim specific indigenous lineage or I, I feel very much on the border. I was born in Corpus Christi, Texas, and uh, I grew up calling myself Mexicana or, or, and it wasn't until I started learning about my identity as Chicana, particular to the United States, when I went to New York, because then in Texas, in South Texas, you're just Mexican. I grew up in a predominantly Mexican community, and I didn't know anything other than that. Um, And I didn't establish the understanding that there was a dash American until I moved to New York, when I think the white, predominantly white culture that I was in, in the school I was in, distinguished whether you were from Mexico or you were from the United States. And so then I started researching I was also, you know, coming into my queer identity as as looking for artists and scholars who could kind of guide that process and of understanding identity. So I found um, Gloria Anzaldúa, Borderlands. That was one of the the texts where I started identifying as Chicana because there was something 
specific to that identity that felt right for me. So Day of the Dead for me in my family is about honoring the people. We've lost so many people and very many people unjustly because of exploitation, you know, because of medical malpractice or things that shouldn't be happening to our peoples. So that's my work centers around death work and Day of the Dead for me. I didn't grow up celebrating in a specific way, but I am interested in learning. You know, my aunt will take flowers to grave sites, um, but I'm always interested in learning what actually happens uh, for people who are more tied to their identity as as Mexican or indigenous or what that, because for me, there's so much of a separation from the land and the the peoples that I come from, not just because of colonization, yes, because of colonization, but also because I lost my mother very young, so the lineage, anyone who would have delivered that lineage to me, I've had to find in scholarship, which is flawed, because we learn scholarship in these elitist institutions. So that's my relationship to Day of the Dead. It's very complex and more of an observer. I, will, I believe right now the the term complicated is the common <laughs> the common denominator on on what day of the dead mm -hmm. is is not mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure many people will have more questions and this is the purpose of having this conversation today to start a series of a more informative and educative process to know more about the source the mm -hmm. the reality of what this is and is not And the reflection in our present day, in our culture, in our day by day, especially in this area where we have a very diluted presence and representation, and sometimes that's where the cultural appropriation begins to take place, and a lot of confusion, misinformation then mm -hmm. starts to change the whole direction and meaning of not only this, This topic we're talking about today, Day of Death, many others in different cultures as well. Mm. We are not the only ones that we have this, this situation. I think uh, also of the Irish community. Many of their, their celebrations or many of the traditions and, and, and cultural identity elements are, are being diluted and also misused and misinterpreted in present day, even though we also in this area, in Holyoke, we have a strong and, and big uh, Irish community. So we are not the only ones having these this mm -hmm. issues. So Neftali, going back to you, last year, I remember that you did a beautiful Ofrenda de Muertos in Northampton, in La Veracruzana, well-known Mexican food place. What motivated you to create this altar and, and what was most important, the educational experience that you provided by doing this? Uh, yeah, uh, so actually we've been doing that for like three or four years and we don't treat it as an educational uh, experience. We only do it as a small group by invite only mostly with uh, people from Mexico, people that claim indigeneity or Native American people that are living in the area. And that's a way for us to like just basically get together in November and hang out and talk about uh, our, uh, our culture. So we, we've been doing that for like three or four years. And we just leave it up for a few weeks and eventually uh, we take it down. Uh, one of the main reasons why I started doing that is because obviously I miss being in Oaxaca. 
I miss not ha not being around uh, around my community, around my family. So that's that's why we uh, we're doing we've been doing that. Going back to what you were saying about complicated, yes, it is complicated and it's not. And I'm gonna tell you why it's not complicated. Dia de los Muertos, as we were talking, is a per perfect example of, of worlds clashing and colonization, and the result of uh, the result of loss of culture and uh, Catholic indoctrination. That's what we're talking about. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it down a, st a step above that. What indigenous traditions are is ceremony, is religion. That's what it is. That's and uh, we can uh, I can talk a little bit more about like this particular the image of Dia de los Muertos right now. But we were talking about a ceremony, and we we're talking about its colonization and basically the in that, you know many layers in, starting with the doctrine of discovery. What's the other term that it, that, that is used? Kill the savage, save the man. So this this is what we're talking about. There is a history, a real history of tradition, uh, ceremony and cultural traditions. I don't like using the, the, the word religion because that's not really what this is. That's not how we understand religion. That's ob obviously a Eurocentric idea of venerating anything. One of the issues that I have with this, this whole movement or this commodification of ceremony, first of all, you don't do it. That's, that's just the, reali the reality of it. In indigenous communities, if you are a curandero, if you're a spiritual leader, one of the main things, the one of the main mandates is of service. What that means is that you don't charge for it. That is, is never up. Is never up for anyone to uh, to financially ex gain any money. And right now in the U.S., this whole this whole thing, there's movies and there's this. You know everything about everything that has to do with the Dia de los Muertos. That's not that not only has diluted what it means, but it's all, but most more importantly has forgotten the roots of it and the horrible history there that is behind it. You know we're talking about hundreds of years of people going underground to practice ceremony mm -hmm. because you couldn't speak your language and because you couldn't practice your spirituality. You know, many, many, many generations, and that's the way I understand it. That's my personal belief, but that's that's how I under that's how I understand this issue when it comes to appropriation nowadays. If we're talking about spirituality, why is it okay to approach an indigenous community and say, "But this is so beautiful. I just want to learn about it and I want to celebrate." You would never do that with any other community that has suffered persecution, would you? You know. Jewish community suffered prosecution under under different parts of different history. Mm -hmm. You, I, I would never go and be like, but I really want to learn about what you're doing, about your service, you know. So that's how that's how I understand it. That's how I feel it. That's how I feel. That's how I experience this. Now the other thing that I was starting to talk about on my on my on my post is the idea, the beautiful idea that you love indigenous culture, yet. You don't love the people. We have in the U.S. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of indigenous peoples from Oaxaca, from Chiapas, from Central America, from Northern Mexico. They are invisible at many different levels. And they have been forced out of their communities by social, political, and economic policies that, you know, that we can talk about that forever too. The reality is that a lot of those communities are clinging 
to their food, to their culture, to their spirituality. If you, if we as a society love the idea of this, of what Dia de los Muertos is, let's go further, let's talk about it. It's not pretty, it's never, you know, talking about colonization, genocide, cultural genocide is not a pleasant thing to talk about, but we have to talk about it to be able to move forward. Now, the, the, the other thing why it's not complicated for me, as I, as I said before, cultural appropriation is just not okay. The way I see it, the way I just explain it, the way I was, I've been able to like understand it myself, when you think about it as ceremony, as a very basic thing that people were deprived for hundreds of years. You're listening Radio Plasma. And we want to listen to your feedback. Let us know your thoughts, ideas, suggestions, comments, requests, people or matters that you would like to hear about in this space. You can contact us on our website, radioplasma.com, and through our social media channels, Twitter, Radio Plasma Lab, and facebook.com slash radioplasma. The Day of the Dead, El Día de Muertos, a celebration that has a lot of meaning. And that's what we're talking about today, the meaning of the Day of the Dead from different angles and perspectives. Some of them that possibly are going to be the first time you hear about. And that's why we're doing this conversation today to learn about the Day of the Dead, its cultural, political, spiritual, religious, traditional, and also, yes, entertaining purposes of it. I want to welcome Jason Montgomery. Howdy. I'm uh, Jason Montgomery. I'm a Chicano playwright and uh, artist from El Centro, California. I'm so glad, Jason, that you were able to join us today to talk about that perspective of what Day of the Dead means from your angle and your perspective as a Chicano and how the Day of the Dead has a meaning and a specific purpose in the Southwest. Yeah, um, I think that it, it, it's really fascinating when, when we dig into, especially the Day of the Dead and this holiday from a Chicano perspective, because, you know, When we talk about Day of the Dead, we're talking about a relatively new tradition amongst Chicanos from California and from the Southwest, because up until that point, uh, up until about the 1970s, this is not something that was widely engaged in. And for at least myself, you know, when I think about this holiday, I think about why we started to take part in it, why we started to move forward with this. And I mean, a lot of people from my area and from my background, as a Chicano, as a Californian, as someone whose family has been solidly, solidly from the Southwest, our, our basically our whole life, you know, it is another complication uh, of our history. When people start thinking about Day of the Dead, we talk about it as, as a very Mexican holiday, and it is. Um, you know, the holiday is solidly Mexicano. It's, it's solidly from Mexico, and it wasn't until like the 1970s that Chicanos uh, in, in California looked at this holiday and said, you know, We want to re-encounter this. We want to re-engage it, and we want to re-engage it for a specific purpose. And, you know, to understand why, you have to kind of look at the history of that area, and you have to look at the history of the Southwest and of the West of California and what that means, you know. For me, it's interesting because it calls into question a lot of my personal identity as a Chicano. You know, when you tell people, like, I'm Chicano, I'm Mexican-American, you know, inevitably they're going to say, well, what part of Mexico is your family from? And 
my response to them is they're from Arizona, fool. Like, because that was a part of Mexico for forever and ever. It's, it was a colonized state, first colonized by the Spanish and then recolonized by, by Mexico after their independence and then recolonized again by the United States. And, you know, there are people who have been there and who have always been there, been there for generations upon generations upon generations, and whose culture has changed and adapted and evolved as different groups have come to us. <laughs> and Day of the Dead represents one of those moments where it's like, this was a rallying cry in the 70s. It was a way for, for young Chicano students, you know, because the first Day of the Dead celebration was held in San Francisco, um, I believe around 1968, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And that celebration was a very public celebration. It was a, a very public uh, event that was meant to draw attention to the larger issues that were happening as a part of the Chicano rights movement. You know, the Chicano rights movement was very interesting, especially in California, because it was not just a callback to the civil rights kind of neglect that was happening, but also to a cultural identity that had been denied to so many people. I'd like to, to think about this story of my own grandparents. You know, my, my grandmother, uh, my grandmother Alicon was from, uh, from the same town, El Centro, as my grandfather. My grandfather came from Arizona when they were very young. Um, my grandmother's father was from Cape Verde, Africa. Very dark-skinned man, uh, mulatto. And when she was a child, she, she had to go to the, the colored elementary school where my grandfather, who was also culturally Latino, went to the white elementary school. And this weird divide between what are you? Are you, are you a person of color or are you an Anglo? Are you a white person in this society? Was still very, very much up, uh, up for, for discussion. And, you know, a lot of young Latinos who lived in places like Los Angeles, who lived in places like San Francisco, who lived in places like San Diego, looked at like this kind of strange place they were in where you're not quite white in this society, but you're not you're 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 not something else because that's been taken from you. You're not you're not Mexican, but you're not American. You are something else. And their response to that was to say we were going to adopt this holiday and we are going to use it as a political tool in order to to draw attention to ourselves to be seen and to be seen as solidly not what you are telling me I am part of that was reaching back to this history uh, of old Mexico and you know, this was not a holiday that was celebrated. I mean, more, more people celebrated like All Saints Day. <laughs> you know, you go to the cemetery with grandma and you clean off the headstones and like, that's what you do. And then, you know, you go to mass and if you're lucky, you get an ice cream afterwards. <laughs> but, um, but what it became was another way of saying, I am here, I have an identity, that identity has a history because I don't know what my history is. Um, and it's, I think that is, is so, so much a part of the Chicano identity is, is looking for a history that, that again and again has been denied to you. I have two sons. I have a, an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. And at one point, 
uh, we went looking to try to find one of my son's histories because they're they're actually registered with one of the native tribes in California. And I am not, like, which is interesting because my, my oldest son, Jaden, is blonde-haired, blue-eyed. I mean, he is like an Aryan spokeschild. <laughs> and he is actually considered more native Californian than I am. And it's fascinating to me. But we, we went looking, and all we could find was a single record at the Mission San, uh, San Luis Rey of when his, I think his great-great-grandmother was brought into the mission at the age of, or sorry, great-great-great-grandmother was brought into the mission at the age of five. It didn't indicate um, what her name was or what her parents' name was. All that she was given, all, all that we knew about her from that record, and that record became the legal record that all of her American papers were based on, was her baptized name. It was the name given to her by the church. That's it. That's as far back as we can go with that history. That's as far back as our history extends. And so when we talk about like Day of the Dead and honoring our ancestors, where do you go when all you can look back to is, is a living history, is, is a generation or two that's behind you? And what do you say to that? You know, so I think a lot of Chicanos, at least in the 70s and 80s, were in this position of saying, I need to create a myth around my existence. I need to create something that I can be a, that I can be a part of that's larger than me. And what we see now, and you know, when you walk through Target and you see like the Day of the Dead mask on sale for $3.99, is you see, at least from, from my opinion, is you see the myth growing bigger than the meaning. And the meaning is very important. You know, when I was, in college and and more active uh, with groups like Mecha and you know you you had these events but they also had voter drives they had high school GED enrollment you had uh, advocates there and speaking because we understood that the myth around this event is secondary to its political meaning to being able to stand up and say come and I can bring you to to our event and I can show you what we're doing but you are going to learn the struggles that we live with you are going to see how complicated it is to be me in this context so yeah and now here we are in East Hampton <laughs> and I love me some East Hampton don't get me wrong you know um, I came out here a couple years ago from LA and it's a different world, and we still want to bring people to us, and we want we want to show you that we have always been here, like that our history is your history, and your history is our history, and these events, these moments are for everyone, but understand that, like, this is something we're doing because we had to. We had to do this. We had to show you, like, that we are, that we are here and that we are a people, and that, for right or for wrong, it is what it is. I mean, and you don't get the simplest answers. Like, we don't get the simplest answers. I mean, if you look at even Day of the Dead, it's complicated. We can say it's an indigenous holiday, but what indi what, what indigenous people? Like, you know, for, for me, when I look around at our indigenous history, you have groups like the Shumas, you have the Viejas, you have the Barona, you have the, the Hesatito, you have the Lisueño, you have the Hopi, you have the Maricopa, you have like all of these people who do not share the common history of, let's say, the Azteca and the Mayans in, from southern Mexico. There's 2,000 miles separating these people. But we all have to get behind something. We all have to get behind some kind of idea to unify us, because if we're divided, we're vulnerable, if that makes sense. 
I, I feel like I've been ranting. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, more, more than a rant is definitely, like you said, something that it had to be done. Yeah. And I feel that still today needs to be done as well. So what I'm thinking of is how today Day of the Dead is being either observed, acknowledged, celebrated in the Southwest of the United States. Well, and then th that's interesting. I mean, there are places like Tucson who have a processional and that processional is very much tied to the spiritual aspect of Day of the Dead. You go to like Santa Ana, California, who can boast to have like the largest like Day of the Dead celebration, and it's a street fair. Like, I mean, and rightly so. Like, you go like to, to places like El Centro La Raza in Santa Barbara, and it is still very much that that kind of like this is our political moment, this is our community moment, this is a festival, but it's also a political moment. And it's interesting. I mean, it's to me to look at all of these variations, all of these like, hey, this is this is what it is for us and this is what it is for us. And to say like, oh, my gosh, it's become a hybrid event. Like it's become it's become so much greater than I think what at least Chicano set out to do with it. <laughs> But for me, again, it's like especially right now, right now where the weight of the gaze of so many other people are, are, on, are on us of, as people from like the Southwest. I mean, like, you know, it is on us and it is on us as people from Mexico. And it's it, like that we clearly communicate. We clearly say like, you know, you don't get to simplify us anymore. You want to simplify us for political means, but we will not be simplified. We will not be broken down to this essential idea, even by ourselves, because you don't, you, you don't get to do that. Like, you don't do that for yourself. You don't allow yourself to be simplified down. I mean, you meet folks and they tell you, like, you know, their entire history of, of their life with the United States. And you're like, that's wonderful. You've had, like, this incredibly, like, detailed history and experience with this country. Why don't I get to have that? Like, why don't I get to have that? And you forced me to have it. Like, like through our shared history, we forced us to, to be in this position. Let's actually have that conversation. Let's have that conversation. I think it's just by the nature of who we are, like who we are as people, we, we want to have that conversation. Like, if every Latino family is like my Latino family, you can't shut them up. <laughs> like, I mean, but like, it has to be something that we're willing to do. It has to be something that we are willing to do. And we are willing to say, like, we want you to engage in our culture, but we also want you to engage in our history because they, they go hand in hand and our history isn't always pretty. And our history isn't always as easy to digest. So what will be your message for people who are interested in celebrating Day of the Dead? but from the perspective that they only know because of marketing, because of merchandising, because of stereotypes, what it will be your message for them as how to acknowledge, celebrate the Day of the Dead? I think use this as, a, use this as an opportunity to learn more if you don't know. Information isn't, isn't always easy to find. I mean, um, but it behooves you to do that. And, and, I want, and I want to say this, at least, 
you know, think about how difficult it is for someone who is not from U.S. America culture to wander around in our, in our country. Maybe you don't speak the language. You're not familiar with the traditions. You're not familiar with the little rituals that make up daily life. You don't know all the little games that we play that keep society going. You don't know any of that. And you learn. Think about that person and the struggle they go through every day and ask yourself, can I not do even a small percentage of that to learn about something that is being brought to me and shown to me in the most kind of digestible way? So learn, use, use it as an opportunity to learn. And don't stop when you find something that you don't like. Don't get offended and, and to the extent that you're like, I can't do this anymore. Don't throw up your hands and say like, oh my God, don't use it as a way to fetishize another culture. Like use it as, a, as an inroads, use it as a, exactly what it's meant to be. And that's a community event understand that like it's on you it's the 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 agency of the situation is on you to go out and learn to go out and be a part of and don't let it stop with when november 5th rolls around and like the party's over <laughs> like don't let it stop there you know every year like in my hometown alone like every year there's like a hundred um unidentified immigrant bodies that are found out in the desert um it's just by the virtue of where we're at and the environment and you know our border policies those are people who are who will never be remembered at a day of the dead celebration anywhere they're they are the forgotten people remember them find people who find find an issue find an agency find find something that will help you bring about the change that you want to see and use this as an opportunity and remember that's why we started this at, at least at least that's why Chicano started this, is to say, hey, we are here. We are here, we are visible, and we are a part of. And we're asking you to be a part of. But being a part of has a responsibility. Jason, thank you so much for your knowledge, your perspective, your words, and your passion. Because it's basically that passion and that way of living the identity, the traditions, and the meaning of them what is allowing us to have this conversation today. And I hope that with this information, personally, I thank you for that because now I know more about the perspective that I wasn't aware of entirely. And I'm sure many people will, will feel the same way. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I mean, I always appreciate the chance to talk about this stuff. And I mean, more, the more we sit down and talk, the better things are. So <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Anyone that would like to jump in, feel free to do so. <laughs> well, we're using the term cultural appropriation, um, but we haven't really defined it or talked about it. And I know that it's a term that I learned about when I went to college. Um, and for people who don't go to college or are not in these kinds of conversations, why? you know, those of you in the academic field, you want to talk about it and sort of make a bridge between sort of the academic talk of what that is and what most people might be, how might people understand that? Mm -hmm. Why is that something people should know about? How can we explain that? Um, I'll do my best. <laughs> I think uh, Neftali's point about profit is very important with cultural appropriation. 
What we're talking about here, what I have to just highlight one thing, and we can bookmark this for later, but the thing that i noticing in, in, our, in this conversation is the, it's hard to reconcile the simultaneity of all of our identities in that we are all in some ways have some level of connection, but we may not really feel totally connected. Naftali has expressed, at least in writing that I've seen, the not feeling necessarily connected, that our histories and our lineages would be very different or experiences are very different. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and put that here because we all have some connection to Mexican lineage, indigenous lineage, and European and African lineages as well. But the way we arrive here is very different. And there's, we have so many different levels of privilege and it feels like there's a lot to unravel there. But in terms of cultural appropriation, I think the main thing is taking on a practice from a culture that is not one's own. Uh, I think it becomes problematic when it is, it, or it feels disrespectful when it, um, you begin to profit off of that lineage or tradition, especially as Niftali was saying, when people have been fighting or just to survive and their work is not acknowledged. That's my best definition there. We could really get deep and academic, but I think that's just the, the basic understanding. But I think the, the key thing is to pay attention to power dynamics, like who, uh, who is benefiting from the appropriation and who is suffering because of it. You mentioned appropriation of other cultures, and I think that there's a distinction when the peoples whose culture is being appropriated are oppressed because of their racial identity or class or whatever other things they're experiencing in the world. So how do we, how do we acknowledge? And I've been utilizing more this word ever since I realized we needed to have this conversation and trying to suppress a little bit the word celebration because I realize it's, it's not. It's not necessarily a celebration. If anything, is um, an opportunity of honoring and remembering. So how do we do that in the times that we are living now? I can give it a try. Um, there's a lot of different threads, um, and I'll try to answer that question again from my perspective and my personal opinion. But I'm struck by the two things that Diana just said. Um, the first thing she said, you know, we come from very different, we have, those of us in this room have some connection. That's why we're in this room together having this conversation. Some lineage, something that ties us back to Mexico or indigenous communities. But we all have a different place where we're coming from and a different identity perhaps. Um, and yet we're using the word culture. So whose culture? And that's where the two things that I think we're talking about, this idea of cultural appropriation and identity, kind of merge. Because who identifies with this culture? Who belongs to the culture? Who does not belong to a culture? Who owns or has the rights to say this is their culture? These are all good questions. And, I'll speak for myself, the Mexican identity is fraught. You know, it is fraught from the beginning, from 1520. We are of all these different 
bloodlines, if you want to look at it, and it's fraught with violence and, uh, and an awful history. We can talk about 1520, which is a whole conversation and everything that has happened up to then. We also are dealing with individuals and who we each are and who our personal histories are, you know, and how we connect to this culture and we're using and I'm kind of using that in quotes because it is not monolithic it's complex multi-layered and fraught definitely so going back to your question of you know okay if it is not a celebration because we understand that there's a history of violence and a history of oppression and power dynamics that's a whole other uh, thread to go down um, how do we honor what is this about and, you know, at the risk of, of sounding boring, because I can only lay claim to my personal history, it, it comes back to a very personal choice for me to take this time aside and say, I'm going to do something for the other, los muertos. I have to go to what is personal and to what belongs to me because I cannot claim an experience or an identity that is really just my life and what I've experienced. Um, I do not claim a Chicano identity. I didn't grow up in this country and didn't have the kind of experiences of prejudice and racism that other people who have grown up as Mexicanas or Mexicanos here or Chicanos have claimed. I grew up in Mexico with um, um, bicultural parents and you know, access to the English language. That was the biggest privilege that I had as someone growing up there. I acknowledge that for sure. So then I come to this country and I have a personal relationship to Mexico and to the cultural traditions of Mexico, but I cannot be put into a category of being this or that or being a Chicana or being a this that I cannot claim to that. So I have to go back to sort of what is the reason why I want to acknowledge these days and to honor the people in my family who have passed away. Um, I cannot claim to represent anything but my own experience. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, where do we go from here? I totally respect that. It's, a, you know, everyone has their own personal history, their, their own personal journey. That's, uh, I, I totally respect that. Talking about this, uh, just getting back a little bit more about the the Los Muertos celebration overall. What what it's really funny, the underlines of like the seriousness that I that how I how I think about it, how I think about the spirituality or ceremony in in general. Uh, talking about who owns culture, I guess what I what I would say is the very 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 last remnants of culture that we have after cultural genocide is mostly, Mexico in particular, has mostly been carried by indigenous peoples. That's, that's the reality of it, because that's at, bar, at the bottom of the barrel, so, so to speak. And every celebration, especially around the Los Muertos or the Todos Santos, whatever you want to call it, every culture is different. If you go to a Mr. community, there's gonna be one, it's going to be one thing if you go to a... Uh, Zapotecan community, that's a completely di different experience. Uh, so, and everything has, has merged. But overall, how do we acknowledge that? For me, as an educator, as a, someone that thinks about those things, someone that is privileged enough, enough to, to uh, not only speak the language, to be able to be here with you guys, but also to, uh, 
I have, I'm, uh, to some degree, I'm privileged enough to have the time to think about this, you know, and have and have the time to uh, have the time to read and have the time to not be in the fields, not be in the kitchens, x x amount of hours. So, um, how do we, how do we move forward from here? Let's you know, let's have this conversation. One of the things that I do like to say that I do like to say that I, that it's uh, interesting, and I want to and I want to pose a question to to everyone. As I said. Dallas Mertz has been marketed greatly in the last probably ten years. There's a lot, and there's a lot of it. And um, let's go back to let's go let's go back to ceremony. If you're a person of faith, which I'm not, but if you are, is it you know is it okay for other people that are part of an oppressive culture to participate in what was has been literally you know cultural genocide? So, ba- so basically, what I'm what I'm saying is, so for hundreds of years, you tried to beat the savage out of us and make us Christian, but now they're spreading off, you know. So that's just how how I'm thinking about this. Now, now let's let's talk about the specific, like how Dia de los Muertos celebrated in the U.S. You know, actually the the whole the whole sugar skull painting and stuff. You know, it's a it's a very inter- interesting, very interesting history. It was a painting by Posadas, who was a, it was mocking upper, you know, upper yeah, class the high, Mexican, the high class society, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how that became. It goes from you know 1910, up around 1910, it was from like a cartoon of mocking mm-hmm. upper class Mexican society to the connection of a indigenous culture. Yeah, so we're talking about the the representation of Jose Guadalupe Posadas and La Catrina, one of the most iconic visual and graphic elements in the associated with the with the celebration of Day of Death in, in both Mexico and U.S. popular culture. And originally, the idea of that the cartoon was to represent, regardless your social status, when you're dead, we are all the same. We look all the same, and maybe. That's where, like Neftali said, the marketing on a date that brings an opportunity for a lot of different opportunities to profit now is everywhere. And it's been infused in our own ways to adapt and rethink how we, yes, celebrate Day of Death. And sometimes it goes to the point that it is so confusing. So confusing even for ourselves. And that's for me personally the reason why I wanted to have this conversation in order to learn from your perspectives, to feel humbled and rectify what I thought I knew because many things are wrong and we need to keep it real. We need to share this information and share these experiences so that way when we pass it on, to the people that are victims of the cultural appropriation because of ignorance infused by marketing, we have more information to share with the rest of the people. Let me let me just tell you how why I started thinking about cultural appropriation in general. I started originally thinking about culinary appropriation. We've been working in the restaurant industry since '97. I'm from Oaxaca, one of the meccas of culinary degustations, one of the most beautiful places in the world when it comes to food. Agriculture in the Americans originates in Oaxaca. 
course bean squash chili come from Oaxaca. We're talking about the basis of Mexican cuisine, whether you like it or not. We can have whole debates about it. But uh, be at, at some point, I realized not only that I had been sold the idea that I had to cook French food to be relevant, mm. but also that there were no people that looked like me. They were writing books about Mexican food. They were, they were uh, with a few with exceptions. They were uh, visible on television or in popular culture, which translated to me, that's when I started exploring culinary appropriation. You know, there's a few exceptions. My, one of my mentors, uh, Sarela Martinez, who's uh, an amazing women chef and was one, of, was one of the only, one of the first Mexican chefs to open a restaurant in New York City as a woman. You know, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's badass. But in general, the authorities of Mexican food are not people that look like me, even though food and agriculture, agriculture originates with our peoples in Mesoamerica. So that's how I started thinking about cultural appropriation in general, right? So I, after that, I embarked on this life journey of being a student of gastronomy, of culture, and everything else that has to do with, with our peoples, with my peoples. So that was the very beginning. And I've been known to like talk about this on, on, other, on other forums, and I'm particularly not uh, apologetic about it because, as I said before, indigenous peoples are the backbone of the food industry in this country. Who picks the food, who grows the food, who picks it, who cooks it, who delivers it, every step of the chain is someone that to some degree has indigenous roots. And indigenous roots not ages ago, right now, people, they speak their language and they're trying to survive. So I see as a great injustice the, the, those communities don't have a voice of own or ownership of one of the most basic human rights, which, which is their food. Another example that, that, that comes to mind is textiles. In the last few years, there's, there's been some examples of uh, designers appropriating particularly Oaxacan designs and selling them for you know, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Where does it stop? Where does it stop? And going back to the culture, uh, who owns culture? If you know, and what is culture? But the examples that I'm that I'm giving you are very tangible. This is life's work. There's a reason why I'm sitting here, and the, one of the main reasons why I'm sitting here is because of NAFTA, because my people couldn't grow corn or coffee or beans and make a living, right? NAFTA comes into effect in '94, decimates the markets. The coffee market gets consolidated into the stock, stock exchange. People cannot make a living. We're talking about people that have been living from the land for thousands of years. In my case, you know, I think a lot about, about, a lot about those things and uh, I'm privileged enough to do it. I guess I, I just can't shut up about it. But maybe, but maybe it is the responsibility of the more you know you have to speak up. You have to say something. You know, it is, it is unconscionable for someone in Europe to sell a $200 blouse using a design from indigenous peoples in Oaxaca. You know, that's just not okay. Well, I think the big question here that we haven't broached is who, you know, like we've sort of walked around it, but can people not connected to our lineage connected to Mexican lineage or indigenous lineage 
participate in these rituals and and how disrespectful is it and who gets to invite people to be part of these these pieces or works or things that we do and I think that that's a big I think we need to throw that there you know I personally though I don't um, celebrate in any particular way Dia de los Muertos, I, f I feel very protective of these traditions. And, I, and, and in a very predominantly white area here, I feel protective of the lineage and having white people be a part of those rituals, even if, though, even if those rituals are already a product of the choque of colonization. So I'm just going to... Yeah. State that. Well, I appreciate you putting that out there. I think that's sort of um, a question that's really hard to ask. I think um, the way I would try to answer that is, what are my choices? Um, for me, this is an important ritual. I want to share it with my friends. I want to share it with my community. I look around at where I live and I ask, who is my community? I reach out for people who I believe I have connections with. I try to grow that community. I met Johan because he commented on something on a Facebook post, and I reached out to him immediately. Who are you? You know, it is Mexicano. Where are you from? Can we know each other? What do you do? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're in radio. You work with youth. Who are you? Let's, let's connect. Um, and... Part of why I think I wanted to do Dia de los Muertos in a public space was because I want to reach out and find other people to connect with. I feel isolated mm -hmm. in the community that I move in. I move, I'm a dancer. I work with dancers, musicians. It is not very diverse, the people that I socialize with. They've become my family. Mm -hmm. But I want to make connections beyond that and to people who I have other kinds of connections with. The question, you know, go, I go back to, for me, the answer is always inclusion. And I, I believe that it's a spectrum, you know, of exclusion to inclusion. And I generally always lean towards inclusion because I know what it feels like to not belong to a category and to narrowly define categories of like, well, people who have had this experience, come on in. And those of you who have not, step aside. And I believe that I'm somebody who creates bridges. And this is one way that I'm doing that. Um, but it's just my way. And, and when in doubt, include. That's my perspective. I'll go back and try to respond to Diana, specifically about dominant culture. No, I don't feel the way we have to include, ever. Ever. That's, you know, there's, you know, we can go down the list of why not, you know. First of all, no, it's just, for me, it's just not okay. It's just not okay, as I said before, for people that have in part, have contributed to cultural genocide to now have a piece of it. You know, that's, that's just not okay. There's a reason why we have safe spaces for indigenous community, for POC, for queer, for queer folk, for everyone else. There's a reason, right? We need that. 
we need those spa those spaces, and that's the reality of it. That's how we grow, and that's how we that's how community is built. One of the things that I you know here it, I totally understand like the the search for identity because I, I'm on that journey as well, or search for identity, search for like who am I, who my peoples are, and that's a real that's as real as it gets. There's a reason why I don't speak, I don't speak my language. There's a reason why, uh, why there's no people like me in telenovelas, you know? There's a reason for everything. I appreciate that you believe in inclusion. That's great. I actually don't believe in inclusion for everything. You're, you already took so much from, from our communities. What else do you want? You know, when, when, does, the, when does it stop? And, and especially around, around this time, you know, talking about like, people have their own cultures, search for it. Go back to where you came from. I assure you there's something that you'll find that will talk to you, mm -hmm. that is genuine and that is, a, that is yours, that you can claim. I wanted to speak to that because I think that we're touching upon something very important here. One of the things that I struggle with in my work, I am in PhD program that is, I thought I was the first Chicana in it, but I wasn't, thankfully. Um, but it's predominantly white, and, and I, the reason I'm creating my dissertation around women and non-binary and genderqueer people of color is because I did not see any representation in the syllabi of the classes I was being taught, and I got so frustrated. And it, I'm a first-generation to college student, so even being in those walls felt violent. So I said, my whole work is going to be focused on the people that need the most nourishment. So for me, it has been a challenge because there is this dominant mindset that we are beyond needing to give those doses, those vitamin doses to people of color, um, to queer people, like, like that we don't need that anymore. We don't need those safe spaces. But yet we walk out in the world and there's violence and and people of color experience loss and and genocide in our world and in our country and as here in this city. So I think that there is it is necessary to hold space just for communities for just for individual communities and I think there has to be a way to do it creatively in that we can be inclusive. So like, for example, for my opera, one of the things that I did was I called it a Chicanex ritual opera because that's my identity. And I said, I, am, I can't call it a Mexican opera because I feel like I might be disrespectful if I'm not like I'm that my identity is here and bicultural or whatever it is. So that was my identity. But then I opened it up and I said, this is going to be a creation of my own identity, but I'm going to open it up to all people of color and they will bring their lineages in, right? So in some ways, when we're sharing something, we can create spaces where we call in, like you said, ask people to dig into their ancestries and their lineages. And we can include that in our own experience. It doesn't have to be always tied directly the lineage, my lineage. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. And uh, as, uh, you, as you alluded to, especially in this political climate, when 
people that identify as Mexican, that look like me, that are brown, that are not welcome in this society, you know, it's, I find it even more important to talk about these issues. That is our reality. That is the everyday life of, of community. And there's so much to learn, you know. You just alluded about the, what you're working on, and I've been very honest with a lot of people. I don't know a lot about, about this. I grew up in a, in a Mexican society, a Mexican society in which is one of the most homophobic societies in the world, right? Mm-hmm. We don't talk about it. We think that everything is okay, and then you come to the U.S., and your mind opens, and you start, you know, you start thinking about, about other issues. So there's a lot of work to do in all, in all fronts, and one of the ways that we can do is not only by supporting each other and, support, and supporting safe spaces, but also by having honest conversations about our experiences. As you can hear, there's a big load of information and history behind one date. Imagine how much we still need to learn. Just by having this conversation today, and thanks to the idea of Michelle's of creating this, if we see the, the whole ripple effect, it's why we are here together, learning from each other, sharing these perspectives, and creating awareness of who we are. Can I say something about that? Yeah. Um, I said something, I think, at the beginning when I said there will be no absolute conclusions. We're using this word conversation, and I think that what's really important is multiplicity, um, different perspectives, different passionate points of view mm-hmm. that can live in the same room <laughs> with a lot of mutual respect. I love what I'm hearing, and I love that we can agree and disagree. I think that's really important. I, th- I just, I'm going to go back to that word multiplicity and just no to homogeneity. <laughs> Did I say that word correctly? Mm-hmm. Um, and no to absolute conclusions and yes to many voices. I just want to say one last thing, especially right now that Halloween is coming up. Mm. Yeah. My, my thing, <laughs> cultural it. appropriation is not okay. Not. Don't do it, children. It's not good for your health. It's not okay to do blackface. It's not okay to dress up like, uh, like a Mexican. It's not okay to dress up as a Native American. It's just not okay. There's so many resources out there. Uh, I highly recommend cultural appropriations by Dr. Adrian Keen. Read up. It's just not okay. Don't do it. Just, just don't do it. I want to say that the different opinions that we are listening today are all of them valid, all of them are being substantiated and and strongly validated by the facts and the history and most important, the personal experience. So Neftali, I respect, honestly respect your position and, and I completely understand it. And also, Michelle, I appreciate having this openness and willful disposition to share and to welcome people that do not belong to at least appreciate and utilize this opportunity to learn and to eventually get to respect and honor from the outside 
perspective they have that this is something really important and meaningful for us people that have level of identification in, in the different ways that, that we have, all of us here in this room. And Diana, I respect so much your position and all the wisdom that you're bringing, trying to bring this understanding and trying to handle this complexity of, of an issue that is hurtful, that is difficult, that is, yes, reason for celebration, but at the same time is a, a very personal experience. Mm -hmm. And overall, I want to thank all of you for, for being here to talk, to share, to help us redefine what Day of the Dead is going to be, at least for this year, 2017. Thank you for having us. I don't know if you want any, any last remarks. I didn't bring my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having us. Uh, thank you for sharing your sharing your thoughts and everything. I, I appreciate this, and as I said, this is how we grow. This is how we learn from each other. Yeah, thank you for asking the difficult questions and saying the uncomfortable things. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we don't move forward. Yeah. And one thing that I like to say is uh, a lot of my work, a lot of the work that I do right here in Pioneer Valley and beyond is Uh, racial justice work. This is the hard conversations. That's why it's really beautiful that I use food because once everyone is sitting, we can have these conversations. We're, uh, probably next year we'll start having uh, these conversations in a more uh, structured mm -hmm. setting using food to open up conversations. Mm -hmm. I completely understand your uh, isolation here in Western Massachusetts. It's a very, very, very quiet place of the world and it can really feel the uh, defeating when a lot of people that are our friends think that we're beyond these conversations. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that we know think that we're beyond having these conversations, that we're past that. And I think that that does, that, uh, does a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. uh, but Johan, thank you for having me. Thank you, Neftali. Thank you to Diana Alvarez and to Michelle Marroquin for this beautiful experience and conversation and also the invitation for everybody to be part of the activities that Michelle has been organizing. So that will be November, November 4th and in Hampton. And also for our community in Holyoke, stop by the Wisteria Hearst because there is a beautiful Ofrenda de Muertos in the gallery that It's uh, this little token of our way to celebrate and honor and remember our dearly departed in the way that our heritage has taught us is the way we, we do it. Again, it's a very personal experience for each one, but we are open to explain whoever is willing to learn. And that's why we're doing this, these sessions. And I'm glad that we can do this. And I expect that we can continue these conversations and not only this topic, many others that are important for our community, for our society, and for, for our benefit as, as human beings. So thank you to Michelle Marroquin. Thank you, Diane Alvarez. Thank you, Natalie Duran. And thank all of you listening to this important conversation around El Día de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. This is the Radio Plasma Podcast, and this session was recorded at the Plasma Media Lab in the Gandhara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Mass. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. 
Viva la muerte. Thank you for listening.